0: Welcome to season seven of the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. It's wonderful to know that there are teachers across the globe that are finding our episodes useful. So please take the time to subscribe, share the episodes and leave some feedback. Before we get started, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal speaking people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording. I pay respects to the Elders past and present of the Dharawal Nation and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people that are listening to this. I hope that you get as much out of our discussion as I did. Please enjoy. Today I'm delighted to share with you a recent discussion that I had with Chad Ferris. He is an education consultant who focuses on learning design and organisational culture by developing and sustaining effective and innovative approaches for students, staff and teachers. He also explores, evaluates and designs learning spaces that enhance future focused thinking and learning. Leadership development is a passion and key focus of his, mainly through coaching, mentoring and professional learning. Chad believes building individual and collective capacity through effective innovative practices is where we can see real change as we prepare our students for the world of tomorrow. Chad welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much uh, for chatting with me today. How's it going your end?
1: Very well, thank you. thanks for having me Matthew. Um, I love the work that you're doing and you know capturing everybody's perspective on education and l- allowing us to sort of share our perspective and, and a bit about our story which I think is really important that whole essence of storytelling. Yeah amazing. thank you so much. Where are you uh, where are you phoning in from? I'm phoning in currently from Orange, New South Wales in Australia. Uh, I relocated here in December last year. Like many people during COVID lockdowns, uh, we sort of learned that we could sort of work um, in many different places. So I took that opportunity and uh, relocated up here and currently also renovating a house. So that's keeping me very busy um, on top of work
0: as well. Gosh, uh, quite possibly the most important question for our discussion. What's your coffee order or drink of choice?
1: Drink of choice. Um, my coffee order is cappuccino, uh, plain and simple, uh, but it needs to be a good one at that.
0: Uh, how's the, uh, uh, how's the, the the coffee culture out in Orange? I know you're originally from Sydney. A lot of hipsters down in Sydney. What about, uh, what about Orange?
1: Yeah, I was uh, based in the inner west, so big oh. coffee culture in Sydney. But um, I can safely say the, the coffee in Orange is uh, very much up there. And, yeah, I'm not suffering by any
0: means. Good answer very diplomatic as well. You don't want to get off site. Uh, <laughs> no, it's
1: time. very true. I've landed in a good part of the world.
0: Nice one. Uh, is there a book uh, that you have read that has caused you to stop and uh, reconsider a few things in your life? I think
1: for me, uh, Coherence from Michael Fullan and Joanne Quinn, uh, when I read that a few years ago, and I've read it many times since, um, and I've got, you know, so many post-it notes coming out of it and highlighted highlights throughout and that sort of thing. It just really affirmed, I guess, where my thinking was in terms of education uh, and also probed and sort of prompted me to think in different ways or at deeper levels, I guess, in terms of what I believe education should be or how learning should be um, enhanced for students and providing those platforms for, for teachers and students, or I guess as right drivers of capacity building and collaboration and pedagogy and systemness that brings it all together so that we can sort of remove that ambiguity out of learning
0: yeah yeah Uh, i haven't read that book um but i will be reading it um and michael fullen is a i mean he's just incredible um i'm a huge fan of his work michael if you're listening uh love to have a chat to you uh, on the podcast shameless plug there um if you could have uh, a dinner party with anybody uh who would be there your, your family don't take up uh seats so they're automatically invited but who would you uh sit down and have a chat with
1: uh this is this is a tough question matthew and uh, when i when i sit and think of all the various people in the world past and present um Big yeah, like there's so many out there, and I know that t- that table is limited.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I guess, first and foremost, I think Justina Arden, I just love her contemporary leadership style, yeah. keeping it real, um, having, you know, uh, youngins of her own and that sort of thing that just, you know, keep that whole leadership thing in perspective through very trust uh, trying times, but having the trust of the people. And I know that we've had similar leaders sort of in Australia as well. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to sit down and sort of, Have dinner with her. I think for me also, Mother Teresa, um, I just really sort of like resonate with her level of compassion and empathy. And I think that's important, not only from an education learning perspective, but I just think like operating in society, um, just, you know, understanding each other, putting ourselves in each other's shoes and just learning the backstory, I think, of people. And that helps uh, form relationships moving forward whether it's like a professional or a personal relationship. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, I'd, I'd, I could learn a lot from her.
0: Yeah.
1: Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Um, I'm massive in innovation. And I know that the, the term innovation is thrown around in every circle. Um, and it's just, you know, word of today and that sort of thing. But just innovation in terms of doing something new, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily just having the ideas, but actually doing something. And it doesn't have to be something like brand spanking new. It could be just like a new way of doing something that we were existingly doing. So I just loved um, any, anything that I could or read um, or listen to about Steve Jobs. I just thrive on it. Yeah. Um, Barack Obama, just in terms of vision and just having sort of like so many things going, I, I, I guess, against against him in, in his time of, of leadership. But also I think yeah, moving forward, just like having that vision in terms of seeing things that others don't see or, you know, yeah. sticking to what you believe in and your values. For me, sense of humour is very important. Uh, you need to be able to laugh at the, the, the things that happen day in and day out, not just the good things but also the bad things. Um, so I think finally it might be uh, Robin Williams. Um, I think there's a lot of power having Robin Williams at the table um, and I could have learned a lot from him in terms of, yes, there's that comedy and sense of humor perspective, but also there's that inter- like individual struggle, uh, mental health and well-being that a lot of people, um, you know, are experiencing. And I think it's really important that sort of like we can learn as much as we can about it in terms of moving forward. I think many of us are very good at putting on a front and not showing the cracks that sort of sit behind because of expectation or... Uh, or even worse, like self-expectation. So I think that table for me would be sort of like a well-rounded table where I could get a, a bit of perspective and a bit of thinking moving forward.
0: Look, I mean, that sounds like a, an amazing dinner party. Um, it's, uh, it's I'm not surprised how often Jacinda Ardern comes up um, uh, and uh, you've also... Um, suggested some wonderful additions as well so uh, I'd love an invite as well if uh, if you can ever get Jacinda to, uh, to dinner that'd be great um, you mentioned a little bit about mental health um, how, how do you go with that I mean we talked about uh, and this is a very deep question before we've just got started but um, you talked about uh, we're maybe not uh, as good as showing the cracks as um, uh, as we should be um, how do you look after yourself and what what is this last sort of 18 months taught you about the importance of self-care? Sorry, let me rephrase that. What has this last 18 months uh, taught you about the importance of self-care?
1: Uh, I, like I've always been sort of like one that I think, you know, looked after myself in terms of self-care, but I think it depends on your role as well and the expectations that are put on you from others. Yeah, um, I'll probably go into the self-expectation bit, you know, my next part of this question, this yeah. but I think, um, yeah, depending upon role and, you know, if, if you are there like looking and smiling uh, um look like you're coping and then sort of like more expectation or more responsibilities put on you as an educator in a school, for instance, um, yeah, like, you know, we're not, we're not invincible mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we can only carry that on for so long. In my experience, like I've had really good leaders um, and experiences. I always rose to the challenge. I was probably very conscious of showing cracks. And I think back in the day when I was starting to teach, um, you know, you couldn't show that you didn't know how to do something. Like you had to, you know, really, I guess, um, convince people that you knew how to teach or what to teach or understanding the, the curriculum and all those sorts of things. Um, but I think as sort of like time moves on and all the things that have happened in recent years, we've learned, and with the aid of technology as well, that yeah. as teachers, we don't know it all. yeah. And we're continually, little, continually learning and that sort of thing. But I think in terms of self-care, I think it's so important just to take a step back if you feel that, you know, you're not really sort of like above it all. Um, for some of us, including me, that comes a little bit too late. And like, I guess like the wheels start falling off and, you know, things might not um, seem like, you know, um, that things aren't going all too well in the background. But I I guess it's when you stop or you change role or have a different perspective on things, that's when sort of you realise, oh, like, that was a lot on my shoulders. So I guess early identification is really important. Surrounding yourself around good people. Um, There's so many resources and things out there in terms of self-help that I continually access and learn about for my own personal use, but also for those that I come into contact with, Um, one sort of skill I I think that, you know, I'm pretty good at is reading people straight away and I can see sort of um, things in others that they might not be able to see in themselves or I can see sort of like things that have happened to me in the past and I can see, oh, like Mm -hmm. you don't want them heading in that direction so you might be able to sort of like start a conversation. I think it's just so much power in conversation and storytelling.
0: Yeah. Look, thank you. That was a very uh, personal question for uh, early on uh, in the interview. I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate your honesty with that. Um, just wondering, uh, Chad, what was your upbringing like and uh, what's something that you're grateful for from your parents?
1: Um, I have a, well, I wouldn't say it's individual. I said, that I like, movement and change happens for a lot of people. But I was born in Sydney uh, mm-hmm. and when I was eight years old, I... I We moved up to a big cattle property out of Tamworth, New South Wales. So that was completely different. And I just remember sort of like the different noises for the hearing for the first time. And I had no experience really of like living or visiting the country. Yeah. So I guess like it was like survival mode, you know, moving from all your friends in primary school because it's the worst possible thing that could ever happen um, is leaving your friends behind um but it was really like it was such a good experience in you know growing up on a, on a cattle property there's so much learning that happens I guess um so many problems that arise that you need to solve uh real world problems so I guess like being amongst that I was put in that sort of like or well, my mindset was sort of changed rather quickly and strengthened in terms of like you know trying to to solve Uh, problems that were occurring and that sort of thing, but also like the level of engagement and motivation you had because you were just like living this great life on a farm.
0: Mm.
1: So, um, yeah, from that, I guess I'm very grateful to my family for providing me with those experiences and those sorts of things. And I guess you don't really know it until you sort of look back and reflect on, you know, your upbringing and pivotal moments in your life.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, so like a bit of variety and then I guess, uh, from that, I've just continued to, to challenge myself and put myself in, new, uh, I guess, new environments overseas, working overseas. And then back in Sydney, I was there for 18 years teaching and um, school leadership. And now I've sort of like come back full circle again and back in the country. So
0: yeah,
1: I think I've, I've, I've experienced the best of both worlds. I know what each have and what the pros and cons are uh, and just being able to sort of like immerse yourself in that and bring education to sort of like, yeah,
0: to a level where it's accessible for all learners and teachers sort of regardless of where you live. Do you uh, find transitions um, particularly easy? Um, I think at at first I do. I guess I just like throw myself into
1: sort of like new transitions and new routines Mm -hmm. and change. Um, Change doesn't sort of scare me or that sort of thing. But I guess like, like getting back to sort of like that well-being side, um, just having, I guess, a gauge on your own self, uh, self-care and what those changes are actually doing to your body in the sort of like in the background um, and just being aware of that and addressing it and, yeah, just being real about it.
0: Yeah. Um, in terms of change, um, is there something that you have recently changed your mind about? It could be personally, it could be professionally. We can come back to that later.
1: you like um i think for me probably the biggest one really and i just always bring myself back to it is that you know teachers don't know everything and i know i just quickly mentioned it before but we don't need to know everything like and it's not about you know being google and and sort of telling students what they can go and access somewhere else and yes we need those foundational skills um particularly in english and mathematics and we need to teach those skills around that. But um, I think it's about providing learning experiences where we're really sort of like providing that explicit teaching and addressing curriculum expectations, but also um, providing a process where students and learners are being connected to real worlds and being able to find problems, frame those problems, and then go about solving them and teaching the skills associated with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And was there a, um, a teacher... Uh, that had a, a positive impact in your life? And have you had a chance to thank them for that, if that's the case?
1: Um, I guess, like, after we moved up to the farm, um, went to, a little, like, the local little country primary school, uh, which was very different from my city school uh, mm-hmm. experience.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I remember my E 4 teacher, Miss Farmer, Nell Farmer. Um, so hi to Miss Farmer. I know that she's married, and, you know, been married for a while now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think learning in my experience in her classroom, it was just so real world. And I know I keep coming back to you and that's like coming to that point. And I guess that's sort of like, you know, the real essence of who I am as a learner and an educator as well. Just providing us real world experiences, both in the classroom, but also taking us out of the classroom, um, outside the four walls or on excursions and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But not just going for the sake of going, but there was real purpose and merit to everything that we did. And I guess that was explained to us like why we do sort of like, why we were doing these learning experiences. Um, and I guess also the other part of that, uh, why she still resonates for me as a, as a teacher, uh, just that personable, you know, knew her students, um, was able to sort of like really check in and and really sort of like motivate you as an individual learner. And I know that, like, as teachers, we all try to be like, I guess, Miss Farmer in a way. Mm. Um, but I guess it's just a, a matter of, like, really honing in or identifying somebody else yeah. on our staff in our schools that might be doing it better and learning from them. And, yeah. Um, yeah, just trying some different strategies with our kids to really sort of, like, get them up and motivated and connected to their community and their school yeah. and, and each other.
0: Have you had a chance to uh, thank... Mrs. Far- or Ms. Farmer Ms. or Miss Farmer, Miss whatever her name is now. No, I
1: haven't. So um, yeah, Miss Farmer from um, St. Joeys in Werris Creek. If you're listening, um, thank you very much <laughs> for everything that you did back in
0: Year Four. Nice. That is a. This is a good opportunity to thank. I don't know if she's listening. Uh, if she's not, uh, she should be. Uh, but I'm sure. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure that would mean a lot to her. Um, I remember my teacher, missus um, Taylor Jones, who I had the privilege of. Uh, interviewing a couple of seasons ago for the podcast uh, was that teacher for me. Uh, She was my year three teacher in this tiny country uh, school in the middle of England called Long Row Primary School. And uh, I have no idea what she taught me for that whole year, Um, but I remember how I felt when I was in her class. Um, I felt like the most important student in the room. And of course she had 35 other kids and I'm sure every one of them felt that way. Um, But quite often it's those, we remember how significant teachers make us feel. Um, and sometimes it's difficult to uh, quantify that. So uh, thanks, Ms Farmer, uh, wherever you are. Uh, just wondering, um, Chad, what does, what's your current work focusing on and why, uh, why is this important? You talked a little bit about the importance of real world learning, um, but uh, what does your current work focus on?
1: So at, at, uh, at present, I'm an education consultant and I've set up my own business, uh, ideated. Um, So basically it's about coming up with new ways or different ways um, in education that matter for students and teachers. And I I, I guess I consider students, teachers and leaders and parents as well um, as learners. So in my work, when I sort of talk about learners, I'm not just talking about students. Um, Of course, like we need to hone in and it's all about enhancing student learning and meeting sort of like curriculum expectations and things. But we're all learning. We're all on on the learning journey. And um, I guess for me, it's about a process um, that I've sort of like devised and adapted um, where we're using the same tool sets, uh, the same language of learning Mm -hmm. and the same process of learning for students, for teachers and for leaders and for for parent education as well. So my current work, I'm supporting schools. um, individual schools that I have partnerships with um, in New South Wales and in a state, where we're enhancing the learning experience for all learners um, and meeting those curriculum expectations but and the teacher standards and, and everything like that but um, using a process like design thinking I'm a big advocate for design thinking where it's a rigorous process where we can name the process. We're all talking the same language. um, And these tools that we use to help us, um, I guess, unpack our thinking and then externalize our thinking when we're talking about it to others, it really promotes that that shared language and that collective accountability across the school and that motivation that sort of like, we're all in this together um, and we can learn from each other because we're sort of like trying to do similar things and use these similar tools. So it's not just like students like undertaking something in one grade and then moving up to the next grade and we do something completely different because it's a different teacher. So just really promoting whole school uh, shared language and practice and then sort of like helping schools with um, developing uh, whole school learning frameworks and also have a passion for the design um, and build of new classrooms and schools and refurbishments and how we can use... These learning spaces um, to enhance learning.
0: There's uh, there's so much in there, and so many follow up <laughs> questions I have, so uh, I, I couldn't possibly do it all justice. But um, Chad, why is um, designing learning spaces um, so important to you, and why does it uh, why does it matter?
1: Uh, designing learning spaces and, you know, I'm not just talking from an architectural design team point of view, uh, because many schools don't have the budget or the allocation for, for new or refurbished buildings and those sorts of things, but I guess from an educator's perspective, like a, a, a teacher in a classroom, it's about using the space around you and um, It's like, you know, not necessarily just putting all the laminated glossy posters that I like as a teacher up on the wall because um, I think that all my students are going to to gain from it. For me, it's about using the the learning space um, and allowing the students to co-construct the learning space around them. So, you know, the work that we do, like you mentioned on butcher's paper, so like that whole collaborative essence of learning really enhancing that because we can learn from each other. And then, you know, allowing the students to to put that up on the wall and access that learning or that thinking um, at another time um, as the learning sort of process emerges throughout the unit of work that's being undertaken. Um, I don't know about you, Matthew, but like some, some days I kind of remember what I did yesterday or last week. So how we can expect students to retain information and learning that's happened across a unit of work, um, when schools are such busy places and, you know, they've got home lives that they go to as well, like sporting and family life and that sort of thing. Um, expecting them to remember everything that we teach them is just, you know, it's not achievable so trying to retain that learning and having it captured on a wall so that it shows a story of learning across that unit of work Um, and it it doesn't have to necessarily be the butcher's paper but it might be an experience where we're on an excursion or we're outside um, learning about something and we just take a photo like it could be just a random photo we print that off we put that up on the wall Um, As a learner, I can look back and I can look at that photo and remember what I did or how I felt or what I learned about that day. So it paints, I guess, a picture of learning or captures that story of learning across a unit so that when uh, we progress through and it might be around assessment or designing something or, you know, solving a problem that we've identified, I can access that learning and sort of like um, make connections with it. And hopefully it promotes me to think of solutions to a problem or whatever it is, the intent of the learning is. Yeah.
0: So how do we uh, begin to um, evaluate the effectiveness of these learning spaces?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one thing that I've done with with teachers in schools that I've worked in and and supportive, um, I get them to go and do a stock take of their their current uh, learning space. Um, I remember back at one of the schools that I was uh, most recently working at, um, I gave them meter rulers and I got them to go and actually measure sort of um, their learning spaces. But also, and I know like every teacher will say, um, I don't have enough wall space in my, in my classroom. And that's, and that's very valid, but it's just ensuring that basically we do a stock take that every single thing that's up on that wall has a purpose um, and also has a shelf life doesn't have to sit up there for a whole school year necessarily. But I sort of go by a bit of a a formula when I'm working with teachers. Um, If we can sort of aim for 50% of our learning space wall to be um, co-constructed developmental um, learning. So learning that's happening during the day and the students are co-constructing the wall and we're putting it up there and capturing it. So whole range of various forms. Mm -hmm. Could be just like a, a class copy of, you know, that butcher's paper that we just worked on. It could be the photograph that I mentioned. It might be, um, yeah, like a, a, student, a few different student work samples and that sort of thing that's painting that story of learning. On top of the 50% um, developmental wall space, I encourage teachers to think 30% celebratory. So that's when, we're, you know, we have our artworks and our published pieces and those sorts of things that celebrate learning. And the final 20% is like other pieces like our birthdays, jobs or anything else that we need to put up there for WHS and those sorts of things. So in my opinion, that's a really good sort of like balance um, of a wall space and we don't want them too busy. As I said, everything needs purpose and it needs to be at sort of like student eye level. So depending on the age of our students, um, you know, making it sure that the learning is at their eye level and they can access it they might be able to go and take off something from the wall, go back to their seat,
0: yeah.
1: write about it, and then go and put it back on the wall. So it's that's, that's very interactive.
0: Yeah, I mean, that um, you mentioned a number of things that um, I use in my class and one of those, those, those uh, walls that talk. Um, and so I remember early on in my career, I had this wonderfully laminated and Instagram-friendly uh, word wall, uh, but it was too high for the students. They were unable to... Uh, access it, unable to use it in their writing. And one of the simple things I did uh, was just to put it at student level. Uh, So practical practical and so simple. And uh, it's been really wonderful uh, seeing them uh, getting up, getting the words, taking them back to their seats, putting them back on the word wall, co-constructing it together. And um, I can't emphasize enough um, how much that changed the sense of ownership within my classrooms because students got to participate. One of the things I do with my students each term is I get them to design their own learning space. It's a maths lesson. I'll say to them, I've got 30 students. uh, We've got 30 chairs, eight desks, off you go. And it's a really, um, really fun experiment to see what they will come up with. And they're often shocked when they come back after recess and the room is arranged in that manner. Uh, But uh, yeah, really fun to, I mean, why not get them to participate? They spend more time in that classroom in primary schools than they do with their own parents. So it should be co-created, I think.
1: I agree. And um, a lot of my work um, is around student voice and enhancing student voice. So any any way that we can incorporate student voice into sort of our learning space and our learning, like
0: all
1: for the better. And just like one last thing on the, on the learning environment. Like I know that like a lot of bulky furniture and shelving and all those sorts of things go against the walls Mm. and that's basically prime learning um, wall space. Yeah. So we need to sort of like think yeah. creatively. I know like, you know, it's not possible in every learning space, but as much as we can, think about how I might be able to arrange that furniture in a different way so that the, the students yeah. can access that wall spaces at their eye level. Yeah. And so I the, whole, the whole yeah. big design, I guess, um, big picture of design from a design team's point of view about a learning space um, in terms of functionality, um, yeah. big importance of that in terms of moving forward.
0: I remember in one of my classrooms, we used to have a um, essentially a ring road around the outside of our classroom. And uh, there was a masking tape line. It was a big square and it was quite a large room, but all the furniture went inside the square and outside students would walk around. They could um, upload work samples to Seesaw. They could give me feedback using uh, QR codes. They could access their word wall and nothing was allowed in that space. Um, and I find that incredibly practical because, yeah, it was like a little road. Like we had to make sure that students kept to the left if they were going one way uh, so they wouldn't bump into each other.
1: But well, I think that strategy. And um, yeah. Yeah, obviously you're getting your steps up as well for your well-being.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hugely important and I can't emphasize um, enough well, from my experience, just the importance of really thinking about the space that you're in. Like if it doesn't work, then change it. There's no point using something that is dysfunctional and I love what you're saying about the limited shelf life of, of displays and things up on the wall I, I, I constantly change things like for example we're looking at um, expositions at the moment um, and I, we went from uh, writing a story about uh, why the pigeon shouldn't drive the bus to why Fiji is the best place to go for a holiday destination and there's just no point leaving resources about pigeons up on the wall if we're not talking about that anymore so we we're constantly cleaning constantly sending things home and I like I said I can't emphasize enough um how much I think that has increased the sense of belonging in my class because students it's got to be useful um and uh I don't think I've had a a desk in my room for 10 years and that's been great because it means that I can't sit down and hide behind it and it means I have to have a system for where to put things uh so uh
1: yeah, well, I agree and um, as, as good as it is having everything up on the wall as much as possible, um, everything that we've just been speaking about,
0: yeah. um,
1: it's, it's just as equally valuable and important to allow students um, to have the time to talk to the wall and that story of journey, or, you know, refreshing where we've come from so far in our learning um, and allowing every student in that classroom that opportunity to do so. And right. I think as a as a school leader, if I'm going into a classroom for whatever reason, just taking that two minutes just to ask a kid, "Can you tell me what you're learning about?" Mm-hmm. and giving them that chance to to think about and to process what they've been learning about, yeah. and the skills to articulate that in a cohesive way, um, like there's the skill, like you know, skill building associated in that. Yeah, and it all comes back to. Um, as as teachers and leaders, the questions that we ask students um, in terms of their learning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so how, uh, Chad, how would you define um, leadership and why is it such a passion and a key function of your work? Um, For me, like I've had various leaders, I guess, in my
1: experience. And, you know, I I guess we've all had those people, um, school leaders, leaders. Above us, where you know, there's things that we definitely take those good those good practices, and we think, you know, I'd love to sort of like be like that person, or I'd love to be able to do that. And you take those little bits and pieces, and you know, you form your own leadership style. Equally, there's the other um, practices that other leaders have done. You think I'd never do that in a million years, um, I but think those experiences exactly, are so important. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, and, yeah. no, I was just like saying that equally like they're just as important so that you can sort of develop that individual style of, of leadership for yourself. In my experience, um, you know, back in my, my last school that I was at, we were really sort of honing in on a flat leadership style. So it wasn't just about us telling everybody what to do and demanding everything, how we want it and that sort of thing. But it was about making sure that we were compliant first and foremost that everybody was, um, you know, we were, had those safe and supportive learning environments and, and, the, and the students were safe. But then setting the success criteria of like, these are the non-negotiables in terms of what learning needs to look like or effective teaching and, and practice. Uh, apart from that, you add your own flavor and you enhance that and allowing teachers the freedom to try new um, things that, you know, that based upon research, things that they've they've seen others do um, to really enhance the the teacher standards um, and bringing about that sort of like, you know, that everybody has a responsibility to add something to, you know, the learning experience and develop, um, you know, yourself as a teacher more professionally and more effectively, basically.
0: Yeah. And do um, what do you think then the central role is of school leaders today? Because it seems to be something that has definitely changed since I was at school. What do you? Yeah,
1: I think for me, in my experience, um, it's about placing yourself um, as a leader, being really informed by research and effective practice, so that. When people ask questions as to why we're doing things or um, is this the right way we, that we should be approaching something, you've got that research behind you to to help articulate, you know, you know the why it is what we're doing. Um, but equally, it's about building those relationships, like being a relational leader, first and foremost. If you don't have that, you don't have the respect of, of those around you that you're you're trying to lead. Um, Taking the time because, like, you know, leaders are busy, but just taking that time to do a lap through the school sort of like every morning, checking in with the teachers, with the kids, seeing anything that's emerging sort of like that has emerged since yesterday, or, um, you know, things that could be saved, you know, save the email, but it's like a quick, um, you know, chat along the way as you're going through. And I know this this isn't achievable every single day, but it's something that I used to try and do. In, In my leadership role, I'd go around and I had like some post-its in my pocket and a pen. And as I went through saying good morning to everybody, touching base, I'd have like a little list of things that I need to sort of follow up um, in terms of students or with teachers or things that, you know, still need following up or doing. Um, By the time I got back to the office, then I could put back onto my sort of like to-do board and that sort of thing. And then just making sure that you follow through. So. Don't say that you're going to do something um, and not follow through with it because people see through that straight away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can't think of an easier way to erode trust than not doing what you say you're going to do. Um,
1: Yeah. And for me, like it's about just celebrating the work that's being um, undertaken. Mm. We're so good at, as teachers and leaders, that there's such a massive pile ahead of us of things that we need to do, that that to-do list never goes away we never we never finish it so we're always like conscious on that to-do list like we need to stop and celebrate what's happened and what we've achieved um you know what's that legacy that we're sort of like we're building as a as a learning community across the school and Mm -hmm. taking those like you know those staff meetings or those staff professional learning meetings um that we have once a week maybe once a term at the end it's just to stop lap around the classrooms, looking at our learning walls and our learning environments, celebrating um, in terms of like, you know, it might be something as simple as two stars and a wish. Um, Everybody gets that quick chance of just sharing something that has worked really, really well and something that I want to focus on for for the next term of learning. And then from that, you're just creating this environment of cross-pollination where those teachers will talk to each other without you there. You don't need to be there. Mm. um in terms of like I really like what you said or I saw what you did and it worked really well I want to do that in my classroom next term can you can you tell me sort of how you did it
0: yeah yeah I think that's so important and once again there's so many points within that uh it's almost a separate podcast episode uh, in itself um it seems to me that um self-awareness as a leader is really important uh we talked a little bit about the importance of kind of moving slowly and noticing what's going on how can how can leaders begin to develop that um, in their own leadership? And, um, yeah, why is, why is that so important? Um, in my experience, like I, I, I think this has been developmental for me
1: and I was like always so busy sort of like trying to get everything done and then you just didn't have time to stop. And obviously, like reflection is so important and you try to be so reflective in your leadership yeah. and that sort of thing. But I think really trusting those that you work with and building the capacity of others and delegating some of the things that you do really really well and i guess just um unconscious uh competently like you just don't have to think about really how how you do it it just rolls off and you you tick these off if um you've got some of those things that are happening in your practice then maybe it's time that you shared those skills or develop somebody else Um, be able to sort of do that as well which gives you time to focus on new things but also creates a little time where you can just stop sit down and be reflective self-aware um have a look don't always assume that everything's working that you're doing because it's not Um, checking in with others and like i used to really sort of like um rely upon the the assistant principals or the middle leaders in the school Um, they're like the thermometers in the school i guess they were the ones sort of like caught in the middle between they knew what the vision of the school is and what, you know, where we're heading and the, and the things that we're putting in place, but then also hearing from the teachers, what's working and what's not working and they're experiencing it for themselves. So I used to really trust sort of those people and have really good relationships with them and, and sort of that expectation mutually, like, you know, tell me what's working and tell me what's not working. And a and feedback is such a large part of my work in schools at all levels with students, teachers and, and leaders um, and effective um, feedback practices that you're just de- de- um, developing that, I guess that culture in a school, that organisational culture where there's trust and the feedback isn't about you as a person, it's about the work. Yeah. And um, we're hard on the content, soft on the people that have been doing that work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell me a little bit about that transition uh, from the classroom to... Uh, Starting your own consultancy business. And are there any aspects of teaching that you miss?
1: Oh, I miss, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump straight to that last part. I miss the classroom every single day. <laughs> you know, as a teacher, that's why we go into teaching is to sort of like enhance students' uh, well-being and also their, their learning. So my work, and because I'm I'm particular about who I work with in terms of partnerships with schools, um, we make sure the modes of learning and support within that school are right down to a classroom level. So I'm making sure that I'm in classrooms modeling different tools and things with students, um, for the teachers. And so it works two ways, obviously like, you know, that that's a really good mode in terms of like the graduate release of responsibility model. So like I do, we do, you do, but also it's a good test for me in terms of the work and the tools that I, um, that I'm modelling for those teachers, whether they're working and still working, because yeah. just because they might might have worked doesn't mean they're always going to work. But every time I'm in a classroom, um, it just sparks a new idea in terms of a, a different way of doing that tool or a new tool yeah. that I think, okay, there needs to like there's a there's a void
0: there, and there needs to be sort of yeah. some work put into that. So when someone asks, uh, "What do you do?" Do you still say you're a teacher? Because um, I know so much of my identity and who I am and what I do is wrapped up in that. Um, is that something that you still say?
1: Still something I say. So if I'm um, Which is meeting, true. Yeah. meeting new people, um, I I'll always like say, particularly like, you know, if they're sort of like not, I guess, in the education realm and that sort of thing, um, straight away, teacher, number one. Yeah, And then they might ask, oh, what class do you teach? And then I'll be able to elaborate in terms of like what I actually do now. Um, but, yeah, celebrating... the the teacher in me, for sure.
0: So, Chad, um, I'm really interested in that transition uh, from the classroom to your current work. Uh, What was that like? Was it something that you had planned for a while? Did you start to get a a niggling about wanting to have a much more broader impact? Uh, What was that process like?
1: Uh, For me, I've always... um, as a as a as a student, when I was a student at school, and then you know moving into teaching and then into leadership, I've always had people see things and point out to things to me that I didn't see, mm-hmm. and then provide opportunities to, um, in terms of you know leadership opportunities um, for like various levels. But in terms of like migrating from a school um, from a school leader, I I was seconded into. Uh, head office to, to help oversee leadership development and teacher accreditation and, and those sorts of things um, after a big stint in my school. So that was a new opportunity that I jumped at, just something fresh. Um, and then even in my work in doing that, when I was working in, in head office, I was still sort of like tapping back into the schools that I was going out and working with and like doing side gigs in terms of yeah. not paid gigs, but like um, yeah, as part it. of my paid role um, just, like, helping them if I could see, you know, a, something or a strategy that they could implement. Um, so that it was just a, a burning passion in me in terms of, like, that's, that's what I saw valuable in terms of learning design um, and school organisation. Um, and then I, I, I um, after a long sort of, like, working relationship with a, a, an education consultant down in Melbourne, Tom Barrett, he, um, he saw, again, saw something in me that I hadn't seen. And he said, you know, I want you to come and work with me and support me in the work that I do. And I'd learned so much from him in terms of, like, different approaches to learning and education that, that, that I value. Um, and then um, more recently, I've stepped out and created my own business and working with schools based on the evolving work that I started back when I was in a school um, yeah, there's a tool that we, we make connections with called hexagonal thinking. So basically, it's about using hexagons to sort of um, put different points of learning and making helping students make connections across um, their learning. Uh, when I was at my previous school, I used and it was when the new syllabus documents and new curriculum were coming out. Um, there was just so much happening in a school where, you know, it was just so much moss and like there was just no time and, and all those sorts of things. So I just come up with the idea of maybe we could put the syllabus outcomes onto hexagons and then we could start making connections across the curriculum. And I guess for me, that was a pivotal point where I thought this actually works and it's something that's never been done before anywhere. Um, and so we trialled it in our schools, our little secret that we were sort of like, we're trialing for a couple of years. And we were developing transdisciplinary learning um, units of work that was, you know, using different connections across the curriculum that were not forced, that were just like naturally linked. And then developing units of work that were so connected to the real world um, and using that design thinking process to drive that learning as a process. And it just worked. Um, So now in my work, now it's about supporting other schools on that process Um, and we're having like huge success Right. In, the cl- uh, in the classrooms with um, students, being able to see the big picture of learning, be connected, be motivated with that learning, but also talk about this story of learning um, and the impact that
0: it's making. Yeah. Was that, uh, what was that day like when you handed in your, uh, handed in your notice?
1: Uh, it was tough, actually. <laughs>
0: <It> was <laughs> something,
1: something that like, you know, I'm, I'm good at coming up with ideas, but like in terms of when it comes to formality, I guess. And I guess also when you've worked in a system and in schools where, you know, it's salary-based and that sort of thing, um, you just know that it works. Um, yeah. It's a big thing just to sort of like press that button and just know that everything's about to change. And I was very, I was very supported from, from my system. Um, obviously, like, you know, they, was, they didn't want me to sort of like leave at that particular point in time and said, you know, maybe take some leave and that sort of thing. But like, I just knew for me, I, I couldn't have a leg in either camp. I just needed to sort of like
0: mm.
1: finish something and then start something new. And that's the joy of teaching. Like we all think that there's only one road ahead in terms of what might be just like, I just want to be a classroom teacher all my life. And that's fine. It's yeah. like, as you know, so many good teachers out there that that's, that's their thing. Yeah. Um, the minute that we sort of start going up the leadership ladder, ladder that's less time in the classroom. Um, Yep. That's being spent there with the students. but you know, equally as important that we need that as well. So I guess there's those parts, those existing parts of education that we think that you know that's the only track. but there are so many different things out there that we can do in education and if it doesn't work, then we can yep. go back to teaching because that's what we train to do. Yeah. But I think it's always about backing yourself um, and seeing trying to see in yourself what other people see in you. And, you know, just taking a step to sort of like try something.
0: Yeah. I'm just interested as well, Chad, what you think the uh, current COVID-19 pandemic has taught us about the roles of schools and um, what questions do you think it's caused us to ask or ask again?
1: I think, and I've always been in sort of like particular mindset that in every problem there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like you know, being an optimist and that sort of thing, like it's always, there's always opportunity there to, to try and fix a problem or it might be just like change or develop something new from that. And so I can see, in, you know, not only the schools that I support and work with, but, you know, I see it right across schools that I can and, and high-quality educational leaders I see across many platforms mm. sharing the work or things that have evolved um, out of COVID. Um, when they were the most trying and testing times I think schools have ever seen and still continue to see um, currently. So for me, I think it's about we need to continue solving these problems and just because they might be too hard and we don't know the answers um, in terms of how do we move forward and create new platforms for learning um, doesn't mean that we shouldn't attempt. We should do like really knuckle down and I think surround ourselves with other like-minded people um, or people that can can offer a different perspective and yeah, continue moving forward because the world is moving forward and we need
0: to keep up with it. Yeah, and are you confident that we will be able to do that or do you think we'll spring back into comfortable and old habits? I guess I see pockets of
1: both in different places. Um, I just think we all want to, it's just we might not have all those answers yeah. I'm optimistic that we can. Um, you look at how education has evolved, like it'll continue to evolve. Um, I guess it's just like not just changing things for the sake of change. There needs to be a reason for change. There needs to be impact uh, made because of that change and it also needs to enhance learning. And I think we're really honing on exactly what it is that might need changing or a different approach. Um then, you know, we can sort of like nut through that and trial and error different things. And if it doesn't work, then we try something else. But in saying that, not throwing out all the good things that we know, um, there are so many effective approaches and, and, um, yeah, things that have been developed and research-based that we still need to hold on to. It's just a matter of like just changing some of the the practices that might
0: be happening. Yeah, Um, I I recently did an interview with... um... Professor Vivian Robinson she talked about that uh, the importance of understanding uh, sorry differentiating between change and improvement and I think we love changing things because it feels good Um, it feels productive uh, but not all change necessarily uh, yeah leads to improvement and I had never considered that distinction from that point of view so um, I think that's kind of a long line of what you're saying
1: Yeah, I think it just needs to be so informed, data informed, uh, research informed, uh, a bit of innovative brain power involved, bringing those sort of like, you know, those people around a table, like a dinner table together that have something different to to offer, to create a new approach or a new way of doing things. But at the end of the day, it needs to be sustainable. Um, It's not about you driving this new approach if you're a school leader. Um, and if you walk out the door, it just falls in a heap. So I'm really conscious of the work that I've done in schools and in this, in the work that I support schools with now that we make sure that it's sustainable and that there's that shared language and collective accountability across the school so that whoever leaves, there are people there that will just keep
0: rolling with it and keep evolving it and making it better. Yeah, absolutely. And what, uh, sorry, fast forward 20 30 years um what do you want your legacy to be uh both uh, personally uh, and also in this education space what does success look like for you
1: uh success for me this is a very hard question, Matthew. Very hard question um, i'm sorry it's, lot, it's <laughs> the second last one it's a we'll it success for me i think uh i i guess my one of my skill sets is being a bit of a synthesizer and being able to see different elements or parts and see those connections and pull Mm -hmm. them together to make something new. And basically like the work that I've developed um, is a, is an output of that. And Mm -hmm. so I guess it's a matter of like me continuing to doing, uh, continue to do that and support uh, schools and education systems to, to sort of like, embed or trial these things, um, you know, so that learning is real and that these strategies and tools yeah got to be realistic and they've got to be sort of like down to earth and relatable for for teachers in the classroom and, you know, time managed and that sort of thing. Mm. So I guess uh, for me, um, it's about not necessarily worrying about the heavy stuff, just making sure that, you know, Everything's compliant and you're making sure you're ticking off the boxes, but yeah. having fun with learning and making it real world and enjoyable, just like Ms Farmer did for me in year four. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just being somebody who had a go and had something to offer and made a difference for school communities.
0: Chad, if you were to um, give a piece of advice um, for a group of teachers that were um, about to step into the classroom, uh, what would that be?
1: For me, it would
0: be about just doing your best,
1: um, Not like knowing that you don't need to know all the answers, but surrounding yourself around good people that are effective in, um, in knowledge and practice mm-hmm. and also sort of like keeping, keeping I guess, your, your job real. And so it's not just necessarily about work, 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 but having that humour there. Laughing at the end of the day and those sorts of things to create that work-life balance. I think for me, uh, my advice for, for new teachers is you learn so much on the job. Um, there's there's a lot that you learn at tertiary level, but you learn equally, or if not more, um, in terms of practices and strategies on the ground in the in, in a school. So just be kind to yourself. Yeah. And just keep reading keep following people on on social media on platforms or reading books that resonate with you it'll affirm your thinking of of you know your values of education and give you further thinking of how you can sort of like refine your practice to make it really sort of engaging for not only the students in your classroom but for you as well so like if you're not passionate about it then the kids won't be passionate
0: Fantastic. And uh, final question, Chad, where can people find out more about you and follow the amazing work that you're doing? So, my ed,
1: uh, website's ideated.com.au. So that's I D E A T E D.com.au. Um, or you can also email me at chadideated.com.au. At and so, there's a bit of info up on the website there, but always um, happy to connect with people and learn about their context and how I can sort of like support uh, in some of the work that I do around curriculum mapping, around learning design, uh, learning spaces and all those sorts of things, just to make life easier um, and more coherent for schools.
0: Fantastic. I'll make sure that I put all this information uh, in the show notes so it's easy for people to access. But uh, Chad, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Uh, It's always a pleasure. getting to talk to people such as yourselves and seeing what amazing work people are doing uh, in our education space. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. Uh, Thank you, Matthew. And thanks for all the work that you're doing.